This is Darren Curry, and you're listening to Bees Pod. Come on, you bees! This episode of Bees Pod is another of Trevor Nell's interviews, this time with Lee Harrison. Tomorrow night, which is Wednesday, uh, Bees Pod will be doing a live show, which will be a playoff preview show uh, of Yeovil. We've got special guests to come. So if you'd like to get more details, go to our Facebook page or go to our Twitter page at Bees Pod. Right, anyway, um, here we are again, video interview number five. And this afternoon, we've got another Barnet legend for you in goalkeeper Lee Harrison. Lee, thank you very much for uh, popping along this afternoon into your room, not mine, obviously. Um, and uh, joining us for um, what I hope should be another afternoon full of stories, your career, obviously your best Barnet 11, if you've asked everyone to do so far. And I'm sure everyone's looking forward to uh, seeing what names you've picked and who you've left out. Oh, yeah, no, there'll be a few left out that won't be happy by the end. <laughs> Thanks, Trev. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, of course, we've got the usual questions I've picked up from people um, along the way. A few from some of your ex-teammates as well. I've been tapping up through the week. Um, uh, no, be- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously, there's actually some very thoughtful ones in there as well, which is um, really good uh, to make a change from the normal, uh, just, uh, I was about to say, mundane ones. But there we go. Um, right, we'll, uh, we'll kick off then. Um, obviously, you started out at Charlton. Um, under Lenny Lawrence, great manager at Charlton in the 90s. Who was it that spotted you to get you to Charlton in the first place? I was actually at Leighton Orient sort of just before scholarship season. Um, and it was uh, Colin Clark, the, the Charlton youth team manager, who'd seen me play at Orient and said, like, would you like to come over? Yeah. Right at the end of a season. Um, so without letting Orient know, um, so Orient are not going to be happy with this when they listen. Um, I went over there on a Thursday night, uh, trained with Charlton's sort of an academy, sort of under 16s. Yeah. And he went to me, you want to play in the South East Counties on Saturday? And I said, well, I'm still under schoolboy forms of Orient, so I'd have to get out of them. So uh, on the Friday, I phoned um, Patsy Holland at Orient and said, look, it's not going to be for me next year at Orient. Could you release me? And he went, yeah, no problem. Consider that done. And then on the Saturday, I went and played for Charlton in the South East Counties uh, against Leighton Orient. Of all teams. Yeah, which when I turned up, the Orient boys were sitting there going, you, you're making your debut for us. And I went, um, not quite. I'm playing for the opposition. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I went over there, played the game. And then from there, they offered me a scholarship. So... My time at Charlton was really brief into actually going into Charlton, but it was a great upbringing for me, really good upbringing. And in those days, you had the South East Counties football, obviously, on a Saturday morning, didn't you? 11 o'clock and then football combination games midweek, was it? Yeah, it was, as I said, it was a good upbringing because the South East Counties was a very strong league then with Spurs. I mean, obviously, Ian was Spurs at the time and we had, you know, Arsenal would have Andy Cole and Dick off up front. And, and my team was Scott Minto. Uh, Stevie Brown, uh, Anthony Barnes, Invoy yeah, Primus, yeah. Yeah. Up again, Gary Breen, Gordon Watson, Jason Lee. So we had a whole, in those days, generally eight or nine of the youth team would probably go on and have good careers because there wasn't the, the big fill of players in squads then. So, as I said, it was a great upbringing for me. South East County was, was a good league. The combinations, the top pros, you know, my first combination game there was uh, Matt Elliott and Tommy Caton playing in front of me. 
for a sell, you know, for a combination game. So, you know, what experience and learning is that, you know, for a 16-year-old, 17-year-old goalkeeper? And in those days as well, you had Bob Boulder, Mike Salmon in front of you as well, two very good keepers at that kind of level. Um, you know, when Bob was out injured, Mike was second, you didn't sort of notice a lot of difference, did you, between the two? Yeah, no, Mickey Salmon was brilliant. He didn't come there till the second year. Yeah, so Jim McDonough, Seamus McDonough was the reserve keeper. And, and in those days... Seamus lived in Nottingham and didn't even come down until, until the, the Friday of the game. So my week was just training with the first team for the first year. So it was great. Um, but then Mickey Salmon come in and, and what a great lad. You know, the pair of them really took me under their wing. And, and as I said, I got a, a great grounding. Although I didn't get a first team appearance there, I got a, a, everything I probably owed to the game I got from those two, to, you know, two to four years of just learning how to look after myself and, and be a professional. My association with you goes back to 1990-91 when you had a loan spell at Welling United. Um, around I used to go to quite often, my dad used to take me to. Um, and obviously they've had a good connection with Charlton, which still goes on today uh, with a pre-season friendly every, um, every uh, sort of season. How did that set you up for a career as a pro goalkeeper at a young age going to what is now the National League? Yeah, brilliant. Like I said, that I think I should have learned from that. I was always destined to play on a slope um, <laughs> going to Welling. Um, but uh, Paul Barron was the goalkeeper at Welling. And as you said, pre-season, you always played Welling. So there was a close association. We played our reserve games there. And so I remember Keith Peacock saying, look, there's a chance Paul Barron's been injured. You can go there for a few months and play. And my first game for, for Welling was Colchester at home, who we were top of the league. And so as I don't know what I must have been eighteen there or something like that. And the first game was against Roy McDonough, uh, yeah, who'd been sent yeah. off about three hundred times and was going to elbow you, kick me all over the place. So as I said, I got a great grounding, great grounding, three months there, and then I think off the back of that, I did well, and they, they brought me back the season after yeah. as well. So I loved it. It was I'll always say now, playing games. We have coaches, and I'm a goalkeeper coach now, but the game will teach you more than than anyone else. You know in a session on CAD. So it was brilliant for me. Really good. And I think somewhere like Parkview Road as well, which is quite a compact little ground, isn't it? You yeah. know, the terrace behind the, the goal nearest the main road is right on top of you as well. It's quite intimidating for, a, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, the changing events, you've got the fans behind you, you know, both the, both the into the ground. I said that that first game with Colchester one, I think we won 4-1, but they had a penalty Colchester and I remember the dustbin coming over the top of the... <laughs> terrorism to the pitch and all sorts and it was like oh, this is a little bit different um, as I said but it made you grow up um, and and you say it's it was a great ground to play at because as you said you, if you didn't have many fans in there it was still good because it was tight so uh, you know Underhill would have been the same you know a few thousand numbers is, is still great on a night game because the atmosphere is there and I think as well coming into a team with the players they had Mark Hone, Nigel Ransom, Gary Abbott, Terry Robbins, uh, Stuart Reynoldson. Sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, no, Tony Reynolds. Tony Reynolds Stuart White. Yeah. Were they both there? Yeah, all there. Brilliant. Yeah. It was a men's team. You know, um, Les. I'm trying to film his name. It was at Charlton. Oh, Les Berry. Les Berry. Yeah, right. You know, just uh, he, you know, his studs were probably about that long every game he went out to play. I remember. Uh, one of the centre midfielders going, you know, why don't you pass to us, Les? And he went, I've kicked the ball over the, 
over the stand at Old Trafford, Anfield, <laughs> Highbury. I'm not going to start passing it into midfield now. But they were no nonsense, you know, and it was just a, a totally different upbringing. Les never used to come and warm up. You used to have to get him out of the toilet. Where no, you didn't, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Well. Three and then roll out onto the pitch, you know. And it's a, look, the game's totally different now. It's, it's professional and stuff like that. But as I said, upbringing and, and making you grow up at a young age, it was fantastic. And as well, learning as well, while you were at Welling, Paul Barron as well, very experienced goalkeeper with Football League pedigree. Exactly. I had the best of both worlds. I've gone to a club in the National League or conference then that was just down the road, so I didn't have to travel about. I was still training with Bob Boulder, Mickey Salmon, and then you say Paul Barron's there at Welling, you know, and a group of experienced players there as well. So, you know, I was fortunate in that way. I'm just going to pick one out because I had a little chat with Mark Hone as well. Brilliant. Um, What's he done to me? He hasn't actually, he's been very good. The question is, is where did I write it down? Because I got so much from so many people. Um, yeah, Honey, Honey put, um, he was on loan at Welling when I first came across him. Went into a very established size with a lot of characters in the dressing room and fit straight in. Brilliant young keeper who was going to have a good career, which he managed to go on and do. Um, he remembered scoring against you though for Lincoln. Um, a left-footed volley, so he didn't score very many, but remembers you diving past the ball um, the ball was already in the net, so you're obviously making it look good for the camera. Yeah, listen, I'll let him have that one because he's a good lad, Mark. Um, I think I know the game as well. I think it was a key game, that one. Um, it might have been the 97-98 season when Lincoln were going for promotion. And I think I'm pretty sure he scored in that one. I'm pretty sure it, was, it might have been. So, forgive me if I'm wrong, but no, I love Mark was a good lad because he came from Crystal Palace. Yeah. Uh, gone into the Welling team and, and he was a young lad then as, as well. We were in a group of really senior, senior, like very experienced conference side. Um, you know, Welling were, were ones then. I know when I went there the time they were near the bottom, but I think the next time I went, we were sort of like fifth, sixth or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. In a good league with like Wickham, Barnet, you yeah. know, all those clubs. So, no, Mark, I've seen him recently because he came to the bar, uh, South yeah, End. Said, yeah, thing. yeah. Um, so it's great because I keep in contact with all these and, and he's a top, top man. Good. And then uh, loan spells after that, Fulham and, uh, and Gillingham. Um, who's around at Craven Cottage around that sort of time? I picked out Jim Stannard was the goalkeeper then. Yeah, Jim Stannard. And there was, uh, I forget the lad's name, there was an Irish lad there, but he'd been actually sent off at Gillingham for chasing the referee and grabbing hold of him. And I, for the life of it, I don't remember his name, but... That was kind of, he got about a 20-game ban for it. Um, and that was kind of him done. So yeah. I went on loan there the first time and just played in the you know, auto-windscreen shield, it might have been oh, then. Oh, blimey, yeah. With Andy Cole. Andy Cole, we made our debut together at Fulham. Oh. Um, so that was good. And I went back to Carlton. Um, I think they loaned me again in Fulham. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. You know, Jim Sanal was there and never present. But they didn't have anyone else in there, so Ray Lewin became the manager, and I, I went over there quite a few times. And then, to be fair, it was good at Charlton. They they got me in the end of one season and said, "Look, we can offer you another year, but we spoke to Fulham and they, they want to take you, and they want to offer you a two-year deal, um, but we wouldn't ask for a fee. Won't stand in your way." So I I left because obviously Bob Wilder and Mickey Salmon were in my way there at, yeah. at Charlton, and I, I could have no arguments with that. 
um, and Jim Sanard and myself then were at Fulham. So that's how that came about. It wasn't anywhere I wanted to leave Charlton. I loved it. It was a great club. But sooner or later, I had to sort of, I'd had the, the games. I'd been on loan to Gillingham. I needed to go play. I needed to go play football. And I picked out as well, Tony Lange was the goalkeeper when you went back to Fulham again. And I, I have a feeling um, that he was on a coaching course when I was a kid as a, as a goalkeeping coach. I'm not quite sure, but I was with Paul Haverson and Bill Hanford, who were at Welling. Yeah. I'm not quite sure where the connection was with Tony Lange, but he, the name rang a bell for, for that. I'm not quite sure. I don't know if he did any coaching around when you were there at them or not. No, I don't think he did. He, he, he ended up coming to Fulham because assistant manager Len uh, was his manager at Aldershot. So Langley then came in and I came in as number two. Yeah. Because um, Ian Bramford had his ways. He, he obviously didn't like certain people, Ian. Um, and he didn't like Jim Stanard, so he was gone. And they brought Langley in. And uh, Langley was a bit different because Langley hadn't been there. So it was a good battle between me and Tony. Um, Tony was a great character. His work ethic wasn't unbelievable. <laughs> um, so it gave me a chance. Yeah. Um, and I kind of played on and off. It was a good battle. We were going in and out a little bit together um, until ultimately Mickey Adams got the job and I still played some. Um, but then the contract came to the end. So, um, and I've kind of already done the deal then again to go to Barnet. And I've got a cracking comment here that's just come through on Facebook from, from Duncan Young. After Mark Flashman, you're the best keeper that Barnet have ever had. <laughs> I'm looking for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and also at Fulham there, you played with um, quite a few players that came on to be, um, at, were to be ex-Bs. Glenn Thomas, Gary Brazil, yeah. Udo Onwari, and of course Kelly Hard as well. Kelly Hard, but Peter Scott as well yeah. yeah there was a few there was a few I think at that time Barnett had obviously the year I was at Fulham Barnett had come Gary and had the team that they just had to put together yeah. somehow and I don't think we were much much ahead of them to be honest um, I think pretty much that season we got relegated um, but a lot of the players went went from one to the other um, but yeah no Udo came with me I think with yeah. Silly the year after um, but yeah, there was a big crossover, big crossover of players. Okay. Well, one thing that struck me as well, seeing was you doing your coaching badges at such a young age as well. It's quite unheard of for someone to do their badges at the age of 21. It's normally when you get to 31, you start thinking about that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that started at Charlton. I think then, obviously, as a team player, did you, thought it was like, I don't know what, prelim they called it then. Every apprentice had to do it. Right. Um, and then Alan Kerbishley came into Charlton and he wasn't the manager. He's the reserve stroke, player stroke, sort of everything. And yeah. he lived over this side of the river um, in sort of Redbridge. And he said, uh, would you like to just come and take the keepers at the academy? Um, and John Cartwright was running it then. Uh, super, super youth coach. Um, so I ended up going over there on a, on a Monday evening with Alan Kerbishley and he sort of took me under his wing and said, like, we'll go do this together, we'll help out. And yeah. John Cartwright helped me. And then Neil Banfield came on board as well. So I had good coaches around me. And it was like they kept encouraging me to go, well, I'm going on my, my full badge. You know, why don't you come on it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't. I'm 20 years old. I'm a keeper. You can't go on your full badge. 
So anyway, it's actually Les Reader who's doing the sort of course to decide whether you went and did it or not. And I went along and he said, no, no, come along and do it. And I went up the first year, did it. And I actually got the comment, you're a little bit too young to be doing this, so we can't pass you this year. And I was only halfway through it and I was like, right, okay. And they said, but put yourself on it next year and I'll be all right. And lo and behold, I went and did it then with Gary Nelson and uh, passed it at 21, doing my full badge. So... And then ever since then, it's just been, because I was, I was fortunate and I got it at such a young age, it sort of lent me into other little things. Uh, I had another string to my bow, if you like. I, I got to places because they saw me as a, a good experienced head later in my career or someone who was quite knowledgeable about the game. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been, it's been good for me as it's gone through to get that all done without worrying about it when you finish. I've got another question. This one's from uh, another one of your ex-teammates, Giuliano Grazioli, linked into your your coaching bit. A lot of players pursue the coaching badges at the end of their career, as we've sort of mentioned. Um, You have began yours very early, in fact, probably one of the youngest to complete all levels, which is some achievement. Did you learn more about the game from the courses or through actually playing? And secondly, would you or have you ever considered being a manager? Um... Great questions, Gratz. Has he got a job somewhere for me? Because um, <laughs> he's coming. Um, right, it's a good question. So, on the courses, what I'll always say about the courses is um, the courses are good. Do they teach you what really happens behind closed doors in a football yeah. club? Probably not. Yeah. But what you get on those courses, and I, I remember doing my full badge and Mickey Adams was on it, Clive Allen. The group of people that you go on there with and then you end up sitting afterwards with for two or three hours and I did my FAA outfield license so my group was uh, Joe Jordan um, Peter Taylor you know I think Terry Venables one of them Martin O'Neill you had people there that had been managing and you learnt loads off of them because they tell you things yeah. that had happened or certain things to look for and I think you, you, you learn off of people they're, they're quite good. They'll tell you the mistakes they've made. And and then you do see the game differently as well. You know, when people are set, set pieces up, or you might see the way the manager is trying to do it and, and have a little bit more patience with, with what's going on. So definitely they help you. The courses are good, but they, they're better for the people that are there that you learn from, would yeah. be my answer to that. Um, yes, I have considered being a manager. I, yeah. I would have liked to do it. I think opportunities always the key. I think sometimes you fall into it as you're, you know, um, but I think what I've learned is you've got to get the right place to be the manager now. Um, because if your job is a place that's difficult, um, and I've seen a few difficult ones, as I said, you, listen, if you if you had Ian on, it'll tell you how difficult the Orient job was. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. That you had no chance from the onset. It didn't matter how good a coach you were, how good you were with players. There were so many other things going on that you just had no chance to do it. And unfortunately, on the outside, you judged on that, which yeah. isn't right, but that's the way of the world. So I think for longevity, I'm probably doing the right thing for myself here and just sticking to my coaching and sticking to what I know. Um, because once you put your head above the parapet, I think it's difficult to go back. You're a manager and then everyone sees you as just a manager. So, yeah, I did consider it, but I think... Where I am now, I'm, I'm happy doing the, the coaching side and sticking to that. And we touched on very briefly, I mean, 1996, the move of dreams to Underhill. 
and to yeah. partner it and an association that, like a lot of people, probably isn't going to go away. It's something you get about the the ground, the place under lights and all that just draws you in and keeps you there, doesn't it? Yeah, I said I'd only played there once in, I think, the reserve game for Fulham. So that was the only time I actually been there. And then Terry Bullivant had left as the youth coach to go from Fulham to Barnet. Yeah. Um, and obviously got a phone call from him near the end of the season saying, look, we've got a goalkeeper here, uh, Mike Taylor. We think a lot of him. We think he's going to leave. It could be any time, but we need to bring another one in. Um, and I had another couple of offers, but I went and spoke to Ray yeah. Clements. Um, loved what he said. Obviously, I was a Liverpool fan, so he didn't <laughs> really have to say a lot. Because <laughs> I was just probably sitting there going, this is Ray Clements. Yeah. Whatever he said, I'm signing. Um, but it, it, it was brilliant. He was a lovely, obviously lovely to talk to. And I thought, well, listen, if I can't learn off of him, and you know, where else would I pick them? You know, I've got a goalkeeper who's a manager and surely I would learn something off of this. And with the, with the caveat that, that Mike would be moving on and I'd get a chance in the first thing there, which is, you know, I've always said, I think in those days it wasn't about the money. You know, football wasn't about the money. It was about how many times you could play and, you know, and, and putting those appearances on your, on your CV, you know, because that's what we all did as kids. We all just wanted to play football. So that was what it was about for me. Um, so I came over, spoke to him, and it was pretty much a done deal. And I remember going into Fulham with my last meeting with Mickey Adams, and I think I had a suit on, because <laughs> I was already going straight round to Barnet to talk to them as well. And they were looking at me like, why are you dressed like that for them? <laughs> so I think they sort of tweaked what was happening anyway. Um, but no, I was, I was excited and was looking forward to it because of the challenge that was, you know, that laid ahead. And the last game I got to see was actually Barnet Fulham on the last day of the season where Barnet won 3-0. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. Played very well, so very well. I went along with the Fulham squad, but I thought, well, I'm going to be here in a little while. And Barnet actually had a chance to go in the play that day, but yeah. results didn't go with them. Yeah, but so, I think we had about seven results to go our way. Yeah, yeah. and although they, they got the result, it didn't happen. But great, like I said, I was, I was excited to go there. Really excited to, for the project. And just give us an insight into how it was, um, you know, uh, training alongside Mike Taylor. Obviously, he went on to have a fantastic career and an international career as well. Brilliant. Like I said, we got on great, me and Mike. Um, he was there for half the season. Clem was only there for the pre-season. And I've, I've, told, I've told this story where Clem was a hard worker. It was physical. His training was hard, enjoyable, because we felt like the manager was actually taking in we were doing because he was taking us yeah um but mike was uh mike was great for me i was always brought up with bob boulder training was hard we worked hard bob could train all me so that grounding i had there then when i went with mike because mike had come out of the army yeah mike could run mike could do everything mike was strong um and it didn't phase me it was good because i thought well this is i don't mind this i need someone who's going to be this competitive so it was good I kind of knew the script. I knew that he was in there to play and I knew I was in there to back up. But I knew then I had to be ready to come in and take the place. So, um, yeah, no, fantastic. But the day Clem left pre-season, I think he sat us all down and, and I think I've told this elsewhere. He, um, he said, right, I've, oh, it's been a big decision for me to leave Barnet and get the England job. And we were all looking around going, really? <laughs> Sure, Clem. Like, I think we'll be driving you there, mate. If you've got, a, <laughs> you've got to think about this one, 
And uh, he kept going, yeah, it's a big decision, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to take it. And I said, like, uh, Alan Pardew just stood up and he went, right, long live the king, the king is dead. And he cut the conversation <laughs> short. And Mike turned to me and he went, well, I think that's my move, Scrooge. And I was like, well, if you're not going, I think that's me playing in the first <laughs> team done. For six months, we yeah. were kind of like that. Terry Bullivant took over and it was enjoyable. Bully, Bully just carried on the way close. Yeah. And it was the same way. We played a lot. We played with Alan Pardew as a sweeper. Um, yes, yeah. And it just, it just took a while for, for Mike to go. I think he was due to go. And then he played Wickham on Sky. And he, he had a, the, the, the away game for a disaster in a draw. It went wrong for him when everyone was watching. But he kept going and kept going. He moved to Southampton. Um, and I got my chance. So, no, no. As I said, it, it worked out in the end. It just took a little bit longer. And that year as well, we had a very, very good squad. Paul Wilson was was still there. Sean Devine, Lee Hodges, Limboy Primus, Lee Howarth in front of you, Robert Codder, yeah. Simpson in midfield, John Ford arrived later as well. It didn't, yeah. didn't quite kick on maybe as it should have done after that season where we just missed out on the playoffs though. No, I think um, there was a lot of changes going on, I think, then with players and obviously their managers because Terry Bullivant had come in and... Uh, Terry, Terry had a falling out with Tony. Um, yeah, probably not the best manager to fall out with the chairman. Um, just because I think there was a lad, and I'll never forget his name. Um, I think it was Costas Constantino. Yes, yeah. I think if anyone ever sees him, he might have played half a game at Cardiff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, this, this, you know, basically, Terry, had, um, this lad had been brought in by a chairman. Um, and they were trying to get him a visa and he came in and I remember doing a shooting session on the Tuesday and it was the last person who scores could go in and this lad was still out there uh, for about 25-30 minutes and he, Bully, Bully, Terry Bullock couldn't hold back even what he said and he was laughing he was going oh our reserve side's going to be good this year with this lad and I think all of a sudden his, his permit had come back and we were playing Cardiff on the weekend and I'm pretty sure well that Tony had said this lad's got to play and lo and behold, he started the game. And I think we won the game 2 1. Yes, right. Sure yeah. Might have got two. But I think we dragged, I think Bully dragged the lad off after half hour or, or half time. And he weren't going to play him again. I think Bully by the Monday had resigned. Um, and then we had Colchester on the Tuesday night, where we had our net manager, which was Terry Gibson. Yeah. Gibbo was the manager. For half a game, um, because uh, Muller had come in, Alan Mullery had come in, and Alan sort of was the director of football. And I'm not sure Gibbo saw it like that, he, as he thought, well, I should be the manager. And I think at half time at Colchester, it was nil nil. And I think uh, Gibbo was doing his team talk, and Alan Mullery came storming in, going, Right, this is what I think, this, this, and this. And Gibbo was like, That's me. So I think by after a week, of going to Cardiff and this lad playing, we'd had two other managers by then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember Gibbo had resigned, I think, the Wednesday or Thursday after the Tuesday game. And then Alan Murray was the manager to the end of the season. It's never dull at Barnet, is it? No, it wasn't dull. And so, as I said, with, with Clem leaving in the season, different managers, players going, because I think then we sold... Um, and they were in that went into that season, didn't they? Yeah. They lived at the end of that season. But we had 
a big turnaround of, of players. Alan Mullery didn't fancy some of the older ones. I think Alan Pardew was on his way out then because yeah. um, he didn't get on with him. And it, it just became really messy the last half a season. It was good for me because I was playing. Um, and, and where I'd gone in there on a the year's contract, I actually had done it. You know, not a lot of people probably knew me. It was a bit like, well, we've had Mike Taylor. God, what have we got here? You know, we don't know. And I think the first six days, I don't think we won one. I'm pretty sure we probably lost to Brentford, lost to Swansea, drew, 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 and I haven't won a game. So probably people look at it going, well, hurry up and get the next one in. Um, but basically I grew that season and I had the chance and, and I think I did okay towards the end of it. And I think at about two years, I would have got the most improved player, which I think... People gave me because they just didn't think I was going to be any good in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and then 97, 98, John Still arrives um, for his long association with Barnet. Um, some good signings that year. Obviously, Sean Devine was still there. Ken Charlery comes in. Scott McLeish, Greg Hild, Mike Basham, Stevie Serlo picked out. Was a uh, I like to call him what John seems to pick at every club he goes to is his little project. Yeah. So. Uh, so he came from Sittingbourne. He did, yeah. Yeah. And was um, young, young fantastic, kid. wasn't he? Absolutely fantastic in that mid yeah. engine as well. Um, and um, uh, obviously Dave McDonald came in later in the year as well, you know, the right back, didn't he, from Tottenham? Yeah. Macker was there when I got there. So Macker had had. Oh, he'd had a little bit years. before. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, the re reason I picked out Stevie Searle as well was I remember Brighton away at, at, when they were sharing at Priestfield. And there was a, I think it was, I'm not sure it was the second or the third goal, but absolutely stunning solo run yeah. through everyone to slot it through. But that's what he was capable of, wasn't he? So he was a ball carrier. He was, he was young, a little bit green, naive, and especially coming into that environment because it yeah. was, it was probably the most, the biggest characters I've ever probably been in in a dressing room. You know, a very physical side, but lots of voices, lots of characters, and a manager that that probably was the biggest character of the lot. And made it to the playoffs, but yeah. didn't quite have enough to beat Colchester. Do you think we should have done, or was it... Yeah, I, it's um, funny, we said this, I think we limped into the playoffs that season. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, um, and I've discussed it with people, and, and you always look back at my side, because it's, it is different now. Um, we, were, we were a very fit, very regimented, strong organised side and, and, and I mean that in a good way we've gone from probably playing a little bit and passing and stuff like that under, under Clem and, and Bully um, and we just tacked totally we were probably five passes or less and playing into areas and making it really uncomfortable for the opposition yeah. and almost being bullies um, and, and John liked it that way you know and, and to be fair you when you went out into games, you felt that you could defend for six minutes of the game. They could put what they wanted into the box and you would just deal with it. And you always felt our organisation would go and win games. Um, but we trained hard. I mean, we were we were a running club. And uh, just to, to sort of give you a, an idea, when you turn up for pre-season, there would be the 20 players in the squad and there'd be another 20 tries turn up as well. These 20 tries would line up all with a ball each. <laughs> and the other 20, like, and I remember Darren, Darren 
if you ever get him, he'll, he'll tell you this story. Darren was at the front of the group of 20, and yeah. you jumped onto the first one, and they threw the ball to you, and you had to volley it back to them. You put your chest on the floor, got up, they threw it up for a header. You put the chest on the floor, they threw it for another volley on your foot, into the hands, and then you moved on to the next one. Yeah. So you had this 20 times. But not only that, if one person dropped it, you started again. No. Now, Darren, Darren on his first day turned up, but he went right at the start. So for the first four goes, he kept getting to about four from the end and someone dropped it. And he had to go all the way back, all the way back. So Darren thinking, I'm not doing this anymore. He went to the back of the other queue and John went, no, 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 same order, same order. Um, and that was how it was. He, he was just, it was just a mental side of training. And, yeah. and I wasn't immune from it. I was the only goalkeeper there. So there wasn't goalkeeper training. There was running for me. I was into the 60-second laps, the 65-second laps. I just did them. And his mantra was, you know, they might be fit, but they won't be fitter and stronger than us. Um, and he just roared with that, that iron fist, as I always said. A question from 19 sort of centred around that. When, uh, when John came first came to the club in 97, the club had lost its way a little bit under the Mullery era. Yeah. Um, was it those sort of characteristics that Stilly brought in, you think, that propelled us towards those playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the first sort of few months of Stilly were, I mean, they were, like I said, I said, I never spoke to him for probably six months. Um, and I probably was just hanging on by the skin of my teeth with my relationship with him. Uh, meaning we played the first couple of games and we'd done well. We beat Rotherham away. We just lost at Norwich 2-1, but we were in the leg still. And we were 1-0 down against Exeter at home. And he came in the changing room and he more or less just, he might as well have sacked half the squad at half time. It was like, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And he got to me and he just went, and that's the last half of your things, is not a goalkeeper coming on Monday. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. We'll see about that. And I remember then we did that and I think that we played Norwich on the Tuesday and we won. Yeah. There wasn't another goalkeeper there. We won. And I remember him going and shake my hand and I just, I, didn't, I just walked past and I went, nah. That's not if that's how we're going to be. That's how we're going to be. And we never spoke till December time. Um, but he just left me alone. He just, yeah. I just played, and he probably shouted every time I didn't kick the ball at an advertising hold him to try and get a throw in. Or, and I just had that mentality. I was just, you're not going to get me out of here. You, you, I'm just going to work hard, keep my head down, and do it. Where others, and, and Dave McDonald will be one I'll, I'll throw out. He, John had a thing that centre half couldn't take more than two touches. Right. Um, they took more than two touches they were coming off and um, just two quick stories so Dave McDonald played against them in a reserve game early on in the season and the ball came to him and he went touch touch and then he pinged the ball forward and his board number went up <laughs> and he was coming off and he never played again never played for the club again after that he was done and, and people remember this we had a pre-season friendly at Fisher uh, John's first thing and we weren't allowed to throw the throw-ins inside you had to work the line work the line work the line yeah. until you got to the area and then you had to go along in the box and I remember uh, uh, Warren Goodine picked the ball up in a friendly and threw the ball inside to Udo Anweri and John walked through the middle of the pitch and he went you off you off we'll just play line the rest of the half <laughs> so everyone learned the rules were the rules and yeah. you just did them or you weren't going to fit in um, 
but it worked. Yeah. Because as you got on, people thought, well, actually, we're organised here. All right, it might not be pleasing on the eye, but when Sam Stockley's got the ball, 10 other people knew what he was going to do. Yeah. And if Sam didn't do it, 10 other people told him. So the team was managing itself. Um, but coming back to right back to where you said, that high energy, that high physicality, that I think by sort of February, March, we were then limping. Yeah. We only had those players. Most of the players would play every game. And it was like we didn't have the energy to keep doing that for the 90 minutes to wear teams down. So it became tougher. So we limped into the playoffs, I think, that year. Um, but the playoffs were different because I actually think we were the better side over two legs against Colchester. Um, we'd won the first leg in a in a grind. It was a grind yep. with our set piece and top down Greg Hill scores. Yeah. And the second leg, everything that that could happen to us and not through our own doing did happen. Um, and it just seemed to give Colchester just the the little ends that they needed to get through. Um, because I thought we played well, especially we had a penalty against us. They scored early. We fought back and more on good iron scores. We still played well second half, and then Liao gets sent off when he brings the lad down, but he's a long way from goal. Um, they score early in extra time, and we've got 10 men. And still then, we took the game to him, and, and like I said, everyone, in, I think it's Barnett Folklore now, is the Dean Samuels yeah. obstruction when you're brought down in the penalty area in the last minute, which, and you've got Paul Wilson on the pitch, yeah. um, who, with no offence to Ian Hendon, He's probably the one person I would want to take in a penalty yeah. kick. Um, so, yeah, I, we limped into the playoffs, but I actually thought we were the strongest side against Colchester. And if we'd have got through, I think that was our chance to go on and do it. Okay. And then 1998-99, emergence of a certain Marlon King up front yeah. as well, to obviously complement Scott McLeish and Ken Charlie who were scoring goals for fun. Um, that year, obviously, we had the infamous Giuliano Grazioli five goals for Peterborough, a game you missed through injury. I missed two games that year, and I missed Peterborough twice. <laughs> I think you were lucky doing that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I got down as well. You'd, you'd, uh, you'd uh, struggle, you know, you'd miss that game through injury as well. And obviously, I think we got hammered 5-1 away as well. Yeah, it, right the Peterborough one is just, is just bizarre, because I think me and Greg were both injured. Yeah, and it was the first game I think I've missed in a, about 110 games or something like that. Um, and so you're down in the dumps, and you're like, "Well, come on in!" Like, so you, you go to watch the game, and then you're sitting there watching. And you, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because you everything that was unfolding was just incredible. Yeah, um, I mean, Foley, Foley was a man's man at centre half, and he wasn't going to take. I used to travel in with John from Kent because yeah. he come from Germany. Yeah. Um, like I said, he, he, I think he frightened some of our, our people, uh, our teammates. So when he just headbutted Jimmy Quinn, and he, he probably headbutted him, it wasn't one of those one we had to fake going down. He, <laughs> he, he stuck on him. So he'd gone off. Um, and lo and behold, then the goals started rolling in. Mm-hmm. I think even they scored there. They scored for us as well. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Um, Rats just had one of those days where everything went in. Nicky Russ... And, and to be fair to Nicky, had had a good career at Brighton. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone who hadn't played, he, he played a couple of hundred games at Brighton, was well thought of. Yeah. But he's probably, someone gets sent off and then that happens and it 
it pretty much finishes your Barnet career in one day. <laughs> one go, yeah. Played Cardiff on the Tuesday, but um, yeah, just one of those surreal days and everything that got hit went in. And I think, was it Warren Goodeye got sent off? Uh, oh. sent off. Yeah, it was either him or was pretty it back? Sure Warren went off as well, so. Yeah. One yeah, of those days. One of those days. It's our thing, I think, a week later we beat half one at home. Yeah. And the swing, so there you go from 9 1 1 weekend to 4 1 at home. Just... I, I think, as well, when you look through that whole season, though, it was very much like that. It was, it, yeah. it was very up and down all the way through, which probably contributed to the 16th place finish. Was it discussed that there was a bit of a playoff hangover that season? I think there was that. I think um, we obviously we changed it a little bit the way we played. We were still very direct, but we gradually bought players. I think Mark Arbor had come in that season. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a shift in the way we played. We weren't, we were still physical and we still played with the same traits, but Darren had come in and it was we to get the ball to Darren's feet instead of just hitting a corner and yeah. trying to play out of it. So we almost played a lopsided shape with Darren stood up on the right. Yeah. Um, it worked at home and then but away from home it was like we can't play like this. Yeah. Can't do this. So Darren came in, and our, ours was a different centre half. Um, not so much. He could head it. Yeah. But as I said before, ours had come from Tottenham, and I always used to say ours would play two different ways. One was when his dad didn't come on watching. Um, oh, yeah. Ours was quite Cruyff turns in the corner, um, dribble his way out of trouble. Chest it down. Was like when his dad came and watched him, he, he edited it and it was the proper centre half. Um, but it did, I think just a little change in how we did things. And um, there was players coming. I mean, Marlon was a great player. But the actual the characters was a lot different. Marlon was a difficult character in the changing room. You know, he had an edge to him. Yeah. But it was a tough edge because he could upset. You know, a lot of the a lot of the players as well. Um, so, yeah, it was a hangover and a lot of different traits going through the team, changes in that that probably that sort of culminated in us only finishing halfway. And, uh, yeah, obviously as well had the arrival of a certain Baron Curry as well. Yeah. As, as you say, we obviously, you know, started to play a little bit more to, to towards him. Did you sort of see... Um, that the difference in style that John was trying to move towards maybe with ball players like Darren, it didn't quite work for him. He was still too stuck in that way of, of his ways teams like to play. Yeah, I think the thing was after a while teams would work out, I remember Orient coming there and John still had weight. Darren would, would probably back this up. Um, even when Darren got it, he, he really wanted Darren to go outside and cross. Yeah. And I remember Matty Josie from Orient turning up and almost standing on the sideline and letting him come in because he knew he couldn't, he knew he didn't want to. Yeah. The team started to suss out the way we played and how to play against us. Um, so we had the little subtleties, but just not enough of them. Yeah. You know, not enough players. Like kind of, if you stop Darren and stop Darren's supply, we didn't really have the other players to, to switch it out and go to the left because the left side wasn't the same. And then 99-2000, <clears throat> it all went right. Um, top after 10 games. And I don't think we dropped out the top seven all season. Um, and obviously the front, front three, obviously Kenny, 
Marlon, Scott McLeish, you know, absolutely, we were always going to score lots of goals that season. Yeah, we played good games. I think when we went to shop against Peterborough, I think Marlon scored, not scored two. Two, yeah. And yeah, we just good. had, we had that solid sort of defence, but we also had players that win games for you. And not just one of them. I mean, we know disrespect when Lee Hodges left, it was just really Sean Devine left for a little bit just to score the goals. But Scotty could score, Ken could score, Marlon could score, Darren's dead ball deliveries and things like that were good. We just had a really good balance in that team that year. We had Reggie or could still head it and, and be just solid in there and Mark Harbour or Michael Basham could be that one that was a little bit more cultured on the ball. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sam Stockley was now, instead of being a green, you know, young lad from Southampton, was now two years in and more established and had learned his role behind Darren. So it just it just worked it just worked a lot better. We had good you know, that was probably the, the best team. You know, we were probably more organised and pragmatic the first year we got to the playoffs. But the second one was we could go and win the big games sometimes, yeah. like the Swans in the way, like the Peterboroughs, because we had good players all over the pitch. And I think as well, rather than just like the top three trying to score as well, you always got to chip in from, from Arbs, from Hield and from Mike Basham as well, from corners. Yes, yeah, pieces were great for us. Mm. We were very, very good. We always felt, even if we kept games tight, with organisation and height and size. And, and to be fair to John, our Fridays were probably about an hour and a quarter going through defensive set pieces and attacking set pieces. And if it wasn't done right, we were just stood out there and stood out there until we did. So everyone knew come game day that we were going to be, we'd be good at, you know, that everyone knew their role in it. Do you think as well, in the modern game, it's something that lacks a little bit. Centre halves not, you know, notching. I mean, I think sure one season I looked at um, Greg had something like eight, and Mark Arbour picked up six. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it probably has changed a little bit now. With centre halves nowadays, probably aren't in there for the six foot three come charging up and head it. Um, you know, there's a lot, lot smaller centre halves now and stuff like that. So it's probably less lendy to just putting the ball in there and, and, and scoring that way. There's a lot more short corners and variations, out swingers. It's just, it's just different. And I think the physicality you can have in the box now has changed that as well. Yeah. You know, you, you could get away with the blocks and nowadays with VAR, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, I watched one the other night and I think the Man City had blocked someone off on the side of a wall and they got the shot off, but they just went, well, VAR comes in, that's not going to be... Whereas probably... Every one of our free kicks we score from, someone had blocked someone and someone yeah. took someone out somewhere down the line. So, yeah, I think that's probably has made a difference as well. I mean, I picked out as well when we played York, beat them 6-3, absolutely blinding going down that slope. Fraser yeah. Toms, I think, left-hand side, just run and run and run. And yeah, run. great, brilliant. Like, he's probably, uh, he's one of those lads that probably will go down in Barnet folklore. <laughs> um, it, it's, listen, because... He was crackers. He was just crackers. <laughs> He'd tell you what he was going to do for the whole game before the game. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, just because someone just slow his brain down a little bit. And I think he played like that, Fraser. Yeah. It was almost like his brain was about 10 moves ahead of what he was supposed to be doing with the ball. Because um, he had ability, but he just couldn't really Channel. compute it and put yeah. it into the game. And, and probably left the players as well as the supporters wondering what he was thinking when he was doing certain things. Often, yeah, very often, especially especially. Like, I just like, I can put it. Yeah. <laughs> I 
also that season, sort of February, March time, we had a bit of a spell where we just couldn't seem to, you know, win a game. And we probably, had we not had that spell, made yeah. automatic promotion instead of, um, you know, he, he, uh, ended up in the playoffs. Yeah, we had a spell where I think we lost five, and which when you're a team going promotion, you can lose one and then probably draw them and nick a win back. And that's going to be your bad run. But having a, you know, losing 15 points potentially on others just lost us the, the momentum at the wrong time. Um, so we ended up limping, I wouldn't say limping in, but we ended up limping into the playoffs again. Well, seven um, months looked at. It was no, we did, yeah. It's just, you know, it hurt us. It did hurt us. Um, and um, obviously, though, going into the two games against Peterborough, was it quite a bit more confidence because obviously Marlon's two goals had won us the game already at London Road earlier in the season? Yeah, I think we, I felt like we'd had, you know, um, Peterborough's number. Like, through the two years or three years I've been there like home games away games but Peterborough seemed to have the upper hand going into the playoffs this time yeah you know they got on a roll rolling into the playoffs they just missed promotion um, and were above us and the first leg I think became really key to that game I know the second leg they, they took the game away from us yeah, yeah. Um, but we had to really fight that first leg because we were playing a team in form um, we just missed out and they'd gone one up yeah, well, we actually fought back in the game with a set piece, Mark Arbor. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we did our usual block and bundle it in and, and score from it. And I think the game was quite tight then, and we were we were probably in the ascendancy. And then we conceded second half, and it knocked the stuff in us because it came. It wasn't from their good play. I think Bash kind of got nudged or missed it or something happened, and they broke through and scored. And the two-one really hurt us going into the leg. Because all of a sudden we weren't really a chasing team. Yeah. Um, we were a good team I think if we got ahead and we could knuckle it down and, and finish the game but going away and having a, being a team that had to chase against a team that were quite good on the break and had mobile players yeah. was always going to be difficult so the first leg was the one that really hurt us there and a huge crowd to play in front with as well at London Road you know double the size of what Underhills yeah it was about, I, mean, I think it was about ten and a half thousand. I think yeah. the kickoff yeah. was delayed um the atmosphere was it was electric that night. I think just because yeah, Barnet Peterborough, it just seems just such a an affiliation between the two clubs. Yeah. Even today, players go between yeah. those clubs probably many many any other in the country. Yeah. Um, just because of Baz and and things like that. So that game was I just remember it was it was a great great atmosphere and kick away. But then the goal that Dave Farrell scores early really just knocks the stuffing out of us for the tie. Really did. You're three one down, and it just become it become a difficult game more than one you would you were looking to try and win. And then from there on to 2000-2001, 12th of August 2000, 3-0, home to Shrewsbury, McLeish, Curry, and Perth are on the score sheet. Couldn't see what was coming from that, could we? No, we'd uh, we looked like we got over the hangover. There wasn't one. Yeah. Um, all right, we lost. A, I think we lost a couple of players. No, we hadn't lost anyone then. We were, we were pretty much the same side. Um, Tony Richards, I think, had come in. Tony Richards, uh, Wayne Person. Uh, yeah, Ken gone. Ken was going that season. Well, Kenny so he was still there at the start. He went during the season. Yeah, he left yeah. during that season. Um, so there was a little bit of change. I'm a So we were still a good side. And we started well. And all the way up to December, yeah. we were seventh. And I think we were making... 
we were probably instead of the leaders and trying to hold on to it, we were actually looked like we were getting stronger and going through it that way. Um, so yeah, what was to come after that? No one really foresaw, and that was probably hard, the main reason what happened happened after that because no one could foresee it from where we were. We just had no momentum after that. I'll add Ben Strebens into that because that gave us six strikers at one stage. I'm not yeah. sure. I think Omar yeah. might have arrived just as Kenny went, but we still yeah. had five, didn't we? Um, but yeah, we had a steady season. We're in playoff contention. Uh, Lincoln Lincoln came to Underhill, didn't they? Went went three 0 up at half time in oh, the game, um, and then we came back and um, won four three with Omar getting the um, winning goal. Was there any inkling or knowledge that John would be moving upstairs? No, not really. I mean, it wasn't really until that, the week before he went that he pulled myself, Paulson, Greg Hield upstairs. As a sort, of, I think we were the three sort of senior ones there. It yeah. might have been Ken. I'm not sure Ken. Ken might have gone by then. Yeah. I remember the three line up there, and he said, "Right." He said, um, "It's going to be a change." And we were like, "Wow, okay, what's coming here?" And he went, "I'm going to move upstairs. We're going to bring Tony Cotty in as as manager, but we're going to shun." You know, we're going to help him and show him the Barnet way, I think, with the words. It was like, okay, right. And that's how it was sort of dressed up to us. And, and then, lo and behold, it really happened quickly. John sort of moved himself upstairs and Tony had come in. And then the change was just just totally different to anything we'd, we'd seen before. How did the players um, take to Tony? So again, sorry, mate, I lost you. Right. How, how did the players take to Tony when he first came in? They were fine with him. Like he was, he was a nice fella. Um, he came in. He was going to be a player, so we were like, okay, this, he's not going to not want to score goals. Yeah. You think he's going to add to it, uh, which he did. You can't argue with that. He scored a goal. He was there, but he went from. You got to remember, we were a side that was regimented. We knew what we were doing yeah. to playing one touch five sides on a Friday. And, and no disrespect to any of us, we'd never played one, one touch five sides in four years since we've been there. Yeah. And it was almost like, wow, what? This isn't us. You know? And then Tony obviously had certain players that he wanted to play. Yeah. Um, and some players that he didn't want to be there and wanted to leave out. Um, I think Michael Basham might have been one of them. The time. And I remember those players then that were left out weren't going to Tony's to see him to say what's going on, what's happening. They were going to John because John was still at the club. Yeah. So now you had, I always said, through, not through the players' fault, players will take any they can to sort their own problems out. And we've gone from a very team orientated group that would nail each other on certain things to if it wasn't right, they weren't going to see John as the manager anymore. They were going to see well, he's left me out, I'm going to go see John, I'm not happy with this. So all of a sudden you had groups that, they did not get on, but we had groups with people going in different directions uh, and being more individuals in the group. And I think that was probably the biggest thing that happened there. And it just snowballed and snowballed after that. Um, you know, I've, I've been there, yeah. And John, I've got on great with John and still do. Um, but he wanted, he wanted really Nezzy to come through and be a young keeper in there. And I think Tony then didn't want Nezzy in there because I think they lost at Hartlepool 6-1. And Tony's like, no, I've got to play you. And it just became fractious everywhere. 
not fractures as we didn't as if we didn't get on with each other, just fractures as no one really knew who was running and who was doing what. So it just was it was difficult. Okay. And obviously Blackpool when we beat them seven nil, but that was only one of three clean sheets that we had under Tony. Um, but after that it looked as if that we struggled to defend after that. Was that because there was a lack of emphasis on it in training with him being a striker, maybe, do you think? Yeah, I think we just really got away from everything we'd done. You know, we were we were built on, you know, being out there for an hour and learn, you know, under that threat, if we didn't get it right, we were going in. You know, we've gone, as I said, we've gone from that organisation to we're just going to play. And, and when it worked, it looked great. And the manager would score and it looked good. But we played games like Hartlepool at home and things like that. And we had no organisation to fall back on. As I said, and it was just, I think, you know, when you're out with a team, you have to have something, a foundation that you play games when you don't play well, but you have that game plan, that thing that you go, okay, we're not playing well today, but you know what our game plan and how we play is going to get us through this. And we just didn't have that anymore. You know, when people got the ball, nine others didn't know what the next thing was going to be. And we play one touch, you know. Probably the 7-0 was the worst thing that ever happened <laughs> to Tony <laughs> because everyone just assumed we turned up and, and win game 7-0. I, I don't think Darren yeah. would agree. He got the match ball out of it. He got the match ball. Yeah, no, he did. The worst thing was that Blackpool went and got promoted that season know, after yeah, the 7-0. Yeah, yeah. um, but like I said, it's, uh, it became a whirlwind that season, really, then, because it used to be go week after week and we just weren't winning games. And, and when John came back in, although he tried to then go back again to what we'd done, yeah. I think it had been so far removed. Um, as I said, and I've said this before, and I think I would say this to players that played there, I think you know, players were like, well, I'm not sticking around here. They had a certain stock. You know, Darren was, you know, was one of the best wingers in the league yeah. and quite rightly was thinking, well, off, you know, I'm out of here. Sam, I'm off. You know, Bash had left and gone to York. Then I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, Scott, Scotty had gone to Colchester. So all that season, we had key players in our team that were going. Yeah. You know, I'm out of here, and not that they didn't put the shirt on and put a shift in for us. They just didn't believe in them. What was going on? And I think that was probably most of us. Would you say as well there was no confidence left in the in the squad that. By the time John had got back in, and although there was ten games to go, it was too much of an ask. Yeah, I think it just became well that you know certain players had gone that John had that were in that that were, were integral to that. Other players looking to, to move on regardless because they just didn't believe in what was going on anymore. Um, as I said, I think momentum's key. It's it's not that football game you can just switch it on and switch it off. It takes a lot of work and organisation. And time to get to a certain yeah. way of playing an organisation. And you couldn't turn it back round in that time. Just couldn't turn it back round. It became difficult. I mean, I remember going to Lincoln as well, which I think was about three or four games from the end. I think it was yeah. Easter, I think I'm sure it was Easter time as well. Um, it was, yeah. And I don't, I don't think Lincoln, Lincoln weren't playing that well either, were they? At that point? Oh, I think they were in it as well. Yeah. It was a key game for them. Yeah. And I think they won 2-1 or 2-0. Yeah, we lost 2-1, but we... We just look so so below par and and, and yeah. void of ideas. I think that point was like, you know, was, you couldn't see we were going to get out of it then. I think teams looked at us now, you and you, you still do it now. 
generally the teams down the bottom have been fighting all season. And yeah. in the end, they're, they're geared to fight and scrap. Teams that get dragged into it late on have been used to that scrap. Yeah. Um, Lincoln looked at us and went, this is our game that we need to win. Yeah. This is the one we need to turn over at home. And I think they were up for it that day because that, that little bit more momentum from scrapping all season. And we didn't, we didn't know how to scrap out of it. And like so, you say, you know, see, it, see it every year with teams as well, exactly that. You know, um, it, well, it's, it's happened to Barnet in the past, hasn't it? You know, exactly yeah. the same thing. Safe, then all of a sudden one team drops like a stone and you just can't, you can't get that, that momentum again, can you? Yeah, no, I agree. Totally agree. I said, like, I think in my second spell, which we'll come round to, yeah. we were just coming into the league and we had that fighting mentality to never be it. And like I said, even when I left, it, it seemed like they were always in the bottom, bottom yeah. two, but could have that run to get out of it because they knew how to do it. Yeah. So, no, you're right. Momentum is, is massive. And, and in the division I've just played in now, they're arguing about stopping the league now and where everyone finishes. And if they just stopped the league last year, three of the bottom four wouldn't have gone down. Yeah. Because they got out of it because they know how to scrap. And uh, then obviously we went to Blackpool Way and uh, took an early lead, didn't we, through, through Wayne Purser, but we couldn't quite get enough out of them. And as you say, massive turnaround from that 7-0 game, they ended up in automatic promotion. Yeah, they had the momentum then, it was a good crowd there. Uh, always a good place to go play because it was the old style ground, a massive, yeah. you know, there was, like, crowd. No stand beyond the bottom goal, was there that Nothing day? Nothing one end and then about 10,000 behind <laughs> the other. Yeah. It makes sense, but... They won the game 2-1 and it put us in a gunfight, really. Winner takes all against Torquay, um, which was a hell of a week. Yeah, and I couldn't get in. I got all the way, I drove all the way up from Kent and um, I must have been about 50, I think, away from the front of the turnstile. It, it, it was ridiculous because in those days, the, the, the bottom two teams or the bottom team going down and only coming, I've done it for a little while, but very rarely... After the Brighton Hereford one, did you get the bottom two fighting yeah. out in a one-off game? Yeah, and you get all and sundry and want to come and see it. Um, probably most most people weren't even buying it at all. Key fans, no, they weren't that day. No, just turning up and, and just wanted to see this. And I think the kickoff was delayed. They might right in that. Yeah, it was even turned up at half past one. It was queued up round and round the stadium. It was uh, it was phenomenal. You know what was going on. And just one of those days where everything that could go wrong did go wrong, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, as I said, that week was strange. I'd, I'd not played the two go well, not played the few games leading into that. Yeah. I think, um, although he'd wanted wanted to go with Danny, got to a point where he went, "I'm just going to go for the most experience I've got." Um, so he gave me the nod on the Thursday, and, and I felt confident. Um, you always want to play and have it in your own hands. You know, yep. you don't sit there and go, well, I would have done this and done that. And as I said, I always remember the day. It was sunny. It was really breezy and windy going down the hill. And I remember always warming up at the top end. And I remember losing losing the toss and they changed it round. And I thought, have a go. It's fair enough. I'd do the same. But I also knew we needed to win the game, but we didn't need to win the game in the first half. Yeah. But I think we played like we thought we would. We should try and win the game in the first half because it was do or die for us and we had to win it. Yeah. And I just think if we'd have just been a little bit more pragmatic first half and gone, you know what, just kill the game off. I think second half, we'd have had them down the hill and, and it would have been a different game. But like you said, uh, I didn't last long. 
Um, <laughs> I won't forget Effie and Williams in a hurry. No. Uh, went in for a challenge with him, won the ball, landed. He just took my balance away and touched uh, my ankle ligaments. And I tried to hold back to the goal, but John Sowell, the physio, went, nah, that's it. You're done. You're done. And coming off and going to the physio room and nearing the first cheer and told Torquay we were one up. And then uh, I, I will find out who was brought into the physio room with me. It was a Torquay player. Oh, right. Got stretched okay. off. Um, and he was sat on bed next to me because there was only one little physio room at Barnet. Yeah. Um, I went, I'm not, I'm not, not sure about this. Because he was injured, but he was happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they thought again, he sort of went, get in. And he, I looked at him and he went, oh, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry apologising. So it was an uncomfortable first half. And yeah, the rest of the day, just, just not enjoyable because the game had gone... Uh, Darren missed his penalty yep. which is not a start on Darren you've got to take him but it just seemed like the culture game everything we did that day didn't just didn't happen for us um, yeah and it was sad 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 day okay a couple of questions from from um, Loudmouth BFC from that one um, obviously yep. as you mentioned you got subbed early after a vicious assault from Effie and Williams <laughs> do you think that was part and parcel of their game plan to force our hand a little bit early and back us into a corner as we were the home team? Yeah, I think they tried to get us down the slope first half, which yeah. they wanted to try and get some momentum. They didn't want to, you know, I'd have done the same. I wouldn't want to come to Barnet and go, well, let's, they're going to come for us here. Yeah. They've got to win the game. So they, they changed it round. Um, and they stuck balls in behind us and made it difficult for us. And as I said, we didn't, we didn't deal with that well, really. Which, you know, little things like that change games. You've set all the game plans out in the world. Yes. A little, little thing like changing the end. And really, we should have had the, the, the nerves to go, you know what, Walsh, just calm down. But the whole atmosphere of the day was about, yeah. we've got to go and win the game. And yeah. that, that's difficult sometimes. So, Torquay did well. Torquay did what they had to do. And they, they got the goals at the right time and did a number of us. And following question for that one, do you think in hindsight you maybe shouldn't have come for the ball given Flinney was on it and Greg Hill was coming round to cover as well? Absolutely, because I was still a bit on the pitch. I came and got it and I cleared it. Um, yeah, but like I said, I think we were all in that mode there that it was, right, come on. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't through lack of, it was through that everyone wanted to do something to try and win the game. Sometimes, you know, the best players are the one that plays plays the game in their head. And, you know, absolutely. You know, you might come to deal with a ball that was a, a long way from goal that probably didn't need to deal with. Um, I won it, but I might have still been on the pitch if I hadn't done it. <laughs> so, yeah, hindsight's a fine thing. It is, isn't it? Right, question from um, Psycho, just last one on that one, on the Torquay game. Um, yeah. What was your sort of thoughts and feelings as you sort of woke up that morning? As you say, it, it was an absolutely big game and not very often you get the bottom two in that division of playing to stay in it. Yeah, I think I felt sick. Seriously, like it, it, your stomach just felt different. Like you'd only get adrenaline and that nerves and stuff like that, but you realised as you came into the ground what the game was. Yeah. So yeah, waking up, it was the longest week, the longest week leading to a game I think I've ever had. Because it was almost like, I can't even remember what the training was. As I said, I've remembered, like I said, it was, the team wasn't really a team. I said, we'd had the PFA awards on the weekend and players had gone out and some didn't show up on the Monday. And that, listen, that's not 
throwing anyone. That, that was where we were as a club at that moment in time. Um, but come the rest of the week, it was just, I think it was just such a long week. The, the build-up and the press and the, and so I just remember feeling, I wanted to play the game and I was excited to do it. And I was confident we'd do it. But it was just, it's almost like the anxiety of just, come on, I, I, I want to get to that point. The weight, it was, uh, it was like waiting for a, a sentence. <laughs> That's all I can liken is, you know it's coming, but it just yeah. takes forever to get there. So that that be my feelings on the on the morning of the game. Like, hurry up, come on, I want to get to this. And what was the feeling like around the club in the days after, once it sort of sunk in that we're no longer... Um, to see it, I didn't really see anyone after. I mean, the only person I saw them was the physio. Yeah. Uh, I remember being, I mean, devastated. Like I said, I've only, honestly, I've only cried once at a game and that was it. Um, uh, Colchester with a referee, I was close, but that was angry. Um, but that one, I was just devastated because of the way that they had panned out and felt helpless. Um, but I remember seeing, as I'm coming across the pitch, I was on crutches. Nick was one of the supporters I knew really well who and stuff like that and I think got one of my shirts I remember him just sat on the terrace on his own and it was my club you know I I knew people who it wasn't like I didn't know anyone on the on the terraces I knew everyone yeah. and I knew how devastated they'd be and it was just they didn't know what to do they just sat there um, and that hang up like, just it was a long weekend um, and the next time I saw anyone was the physio and off to go and go to the hospital and get my scans done so I didn't really have anything interaction with anyone through that off-season. Just a physio, that was it. Um, and then there was a lot going on behind the scene with players leaving and, yeah. and going. And obviously I knew I wasn't going anywhere because I was injured. Yeah. I was just thinking, right, how do I get fit for the first day of the season again? Um, so yeah, it was a long summer. Long summer of not knowing where we're going to be as a football club. And I assume in those days there weren't relegation release clauses in contracts, were there? No, no, nothing. It was like that. The contracts were the contracts. Um, there was always, I think, you know, nowadays you put things in there like this drops in salary if you go down, but players can leave because I think now it's become more common practice. That was so early in the relegation thing that no one thought of it. So I think everyone just had their contracts. Um, I think I had another year or two years left still maybe so it didn't make any difference financially to me and um, it just hurt it just hurt me as in that's not what I you know it was my club and I didn't want that to happen um, so yeah you know, as I said it was, a, it was a tough tough off season of not knowing how we were going to do it or what we were going to do well quite a lot of the players resigned to, to leaving the club literally because they used to be yeah I think some knew they were going to go I mean like Darren Darren deserved it he'd had He'd had three years there or, you know, like, and two of them, or two years there and he was good. And, and the playoff year, he was exceptional. And even in, you know, the whole season, we weren't poor. Mm. We just hit that, that after Christmas, it just yeah. went downhill yeah. to become a bad player. He'd just been caught up in a, a bad situation. So you couldn't blame him. Sam Stockley, they were off to bigger things, quite rightly so. So we knew we were going to have to start again in the conference and we knew we'd look a little bit different. And dropping into the conference, do you think some players originally found it a little bit hard to adjust, just literally, you know, clubs just been relegated? 
I think we probably thought it's the conference we should, you know, everything's gone wrong there, but, you know, that's all changed now. John's back in charge. We should just turn up. We knew it'd be difficult because it was only one side getting promoted. There wasn't the playoffs then. Yeah. So you knew it'd be difficult, but you actually thought, well, we should be in and around it, you know. But I think we come down to earth with a bump when our first game was Hereford away. We were strong. We'd only just gone down themselves. Yeah. You know, we were used to it. And it was put on Sky about midday on the first day. So you kind of worked out, right, <laughs> setting us up here. Yeah. We're, we're, here, for the, we're here for a reason. Um, and I think we lost we lost that one. Lost 2-1. Lost 2-1. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it was the rude awakening we needed. Uh, we did okay. We did okay that year without being, you yeah. know, obviously it, it tailed off at one point in it, but we yeah. kind of, Started okay, had a wobble through the middle again, and then finished. I always say, if we probably the one season that if we'd have been playoffs, yeah, it was the strongest we've ever finished as a club. Yeah. yeah. You know, the last sort of eight games were like the Peachtrees and Martin were two defeats or eight wins and a draw or something like that, and we beat all the top teams. So it wasn't a bad season it, for a season that was always going to be difficult, I think. I think as well, though, it showed, though, the um, LDV win against Reading 4-1. I think yeah. he, scored tw- he scored at least once, if not twice. Yeah. And he showed there was still quality and talent within the bunch that maybe it wasn't going to take us too long to get back up again. No, I think so. I said, like, we kept... Uh, Mark Hard was obviously there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there's, yeah, there were some good players there still. Yeah. Um, you know, and players we brought in were good signings. I think then Wayne Purse was kicked into gear as a as a good striker for us as well. So no, I think we thought, you know, going through that season and finishing strong, we'd have a good go at the season after. Yeah. Learn a little bit about the league. Um, learn how to play the lesser sides and, and get good wins against them. Um, and then learn how to beat the top sides as well. So no, it was a lot more confidence. And then the following season, 0203, you shared quite a little bit of the of the season with uh, with uh, Danny Nays bit. Um, it was a bit hit and miss, um, maybe transitional. With the was this the season with Peter Shrees and Martin? Yeah, I think yeah they came in at the end, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, came in at the end. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd sort of gone up and down through that season, and then played the back end of the season under Peter. Yeah, uh, he quite liked me. Um, I liked him as a manager. I like the, the I like the combination of the two. Probably the best combination of manager stroke assistant that I've played under. Um, a manager who made you feel like a million dollars and a and a man who made training fun, um, exciting, uh, interesting with some of the things that went on. And we had that we could play football and the organisation that Martin used to throw in there. We had the balance of both. So, as I said, finishing that season, we felt really confident. And obviously, I was transitioning a little bit still. Nesby was trying to find his way. And, I, and Danny was a talented keeper. And I've said this, and, and I'll say this to him because I still see him now. He probably didn't take the game seriously enough. Um, could play the joker, could play the clown. Um, and if he'd have been really serious about it, he would have probably took me earlier. Um, but he didn't. He didn't, and um, he had an okay career. Yeah. But I think he's actually very serious, and what he does off the field now, yeah. he's something different. Um, but yeah, he, he, Danny always gave me the in to keep taking the place. 
I would say. You know, you can never really nail it down for long enough. It's funny, it's funny you should say that about Danny, actually, because I had a chat with Ross Flitney when um, I was over at Eastleigh talking to Ben. And uh, obviously, around, you know, uh, Danny was about the same age as Ross was when they joined Barnet. Yeah. Um, and Ross said, Ross said pretty much the same. He wasn't quite ready for that chance, mature enough um, to take it at that age, you know. And he probably, you know, the, the, the pair of them as goalkeepers probably would have had, you know, a lot longer careers at a higher level. Yeah. Yeah, I think like um, Nezzy was the one. He, he, he sort of came in. He always sort of came into the team and then weren't doing fantastically great. Um, and then that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate. I probably voted the storm out in my first season because I was the only goalkeeper there. Yeah. They didn't really have anyone to go to. We didn't win for six games where some manager might go, well, we'll just make a change just because we can. Um, Nezzy didn't have that. If Nezzy... Nezzy got in the team when we in the first playoff season, second playoff season. Um, and he got in there and he won the game at York, won the game at Cheltenham. But because I was there and I played for John and played a while, John was always going to put me back in. Yeah. No matter how well Danny played, and that was tough for him. I I didn't have that pressure really in the first season. I was the only one. There. So it was kind of, well, you're the only one you're going to play. Gonna play so yeah. I was fortunate to have that first 25 games to get that under. You know, those games under my belt and get myself into the team, it's difficult. You can't keep going in and playing two, three games and come out and go back in. You have to get used to playing with a back four, playing for a defence. And you need a manager that says, go on, go and have two games and get used yeah. to it. And once you do that, you learn how to play 40 games in a row, you know, in a season, which is what you have to do as a keeper. And Daddy never really had that. Ross kind of had it for the first season, but he was sharing it with Scott Tynan. Yeah. Then the season where he really should have had it was when I arrived. Yeah. And the plan was for him to, to play and, and me to coach him. And and I was happy with that. Listen, he's the young boy, the young one in there now. They think a lot of him. I'm happy. I'll be a number two. Um, I'll coach. But one pre-season friendly against Arsenal when he got his back. And <laughs> that all went out the window. And it was then tough for Ross because I'd come in and played 30 games that season. And... Yeah. Ross really had that time to bed himself in. And then just before we come on to that second spell at Barnet, you'll see a spell at Orient, a £10,000 move, and then a quick brief move to Peterborough. Was that a bit of a, just a cover or it didn't quite work out there? No, I think that obviously Peterborough, going back to, I'd gone on loan to Peterborough while I was at Barnet. Uh, Mark Harbour had left permanently, but Barry Fry, Mark uh, Mark Taylor, the keeper at Peterborough, broke yeah, his arm. Mark Tyler, yeah, yeah. A young lad there, uh, Dan Connor, playing, but Baz wanted a keeper in. Um, probably Baz being Baz, he, he has to go back to Barnet to get one because it's his first point of call for everything. Um, but he made the call to Peter Shreves and said, look, is he available? And Peter yeah. said, well, he's playing. Yeah. Um, although I probably wasn't playing great at the time uh, and culminated in me coming out of the team after Graves' end game. But I've come out of the team and Peter pulled me and said, look, um, I want to play you still. He said, but Baz wants to take you on loan for three months um, in League One. And he said, so you're going to go from National League to, to League One. He said, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop, drop you. Yeah. He said, I'm going to tell the chairman that I can't afford, can't afford to have you sat on the bench and he's going to let you go there. <laughs> he said, just to let you know, I won't be here much longer, so that's what I'm going to do. And, 
And it was really funny. I, if you watch it, I, I, I then spent three or four games on the bench for Barnet, but the loan was already done and everyone knew I was going there. Right. Um, I played a game for Baz over at uh, Dagenham yep. in between before I went there. Um, we won 7-0. I touched the ball four or five times in the game. Uh, come off the pitch and I went, well, Baz, you're not really going to get a lot from that without taking me on loan. And he went, you must be joking. He said, like, any keeper that turns up and wins 7-0, well, for me, I'm signing you. <laughs> and that was it. I signed and that loan went really well. But I, I was due to, he wanted to sign me at the end of that loan season. Yeah. But he had to wait for me to go back to Barnet, finish the season off and go there. But Orient nipped in. Right. Uh, Orient put a two and a half year deal on the table straight away. And it was a tough one. I, I had the time at Peterborough and I wanted to sign the deal there. But when the, the deal's on the table and you're never, you're never sure of what's happening, I was always going to sign the deal. But then when I finished at Orient, Baz would bring me back there. Yeah. But it was in a time where their, their club was in a it was traumatic there. Big changes. TV programmes on Sky. <laughs> uh, you know, all sorts going on. And so when that season finished, I pretty much packed up and I knew I wasn't going to even enter into contract talks there. I mean, Endo had been up there as well before that on loan and he'd yeah. left and gone. And so it wasn't, I wasn't going to stay. I'd had the year there and I was, whatever happened, I was going. And, um, Paul had actually played for Orient on the end of a season and come to see what the league was like before Barnett had got in there. And yeah. like the way I organised and talked and, that's where his idea for bringing me back there to number two was. Um, having a senior one that could play if need be, but was going to help Ross Flitney come through. So it was a no-brainer for me. And having spoken to people like Hendo, obviously, and Gratz as well, that have uh, played under Paul and that, how did you find him and his ideals to play under? I mean, speaking to Gratz two weeks ago, he said that some of Paul's stuff back at Stevenage, you know, was years before its time. Yeah, he was... He was it was a different way of, of doing things with Paul. He was, he was a school teacher by, by trade. Um, so he was very classroom orientated. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably nowadays is probably a lot where yeah. a lot of coaches are. Yeah. So I remember training over at Queenswood and a lot, you know, it'd be upstairs on Mondays having these debrief meetings and talking about the three things you could have done and the psychological meetings and you had to stand up and, say things about your partners on the team that you didn't know about. I mean, just lots of different things. And some players took to it. Some players found it really difficult at times to go, you know, why are we just not on a pitch, just kicking the ball and training? Um, but what I'll say with Paul is Paul had his way of doing it in, in his way. And whether he'd done it through being very clever or, or it just happened, he had very good senior players in the right areas of the right in the changing room and in the right areas of the pitch before I got there. Yeah, you know, probably the, the, when they got promoted, you know, Hendo would be at right back and you know he could look after the back four and that's up front was a senior head. And then before I got there, Hess had come in and yes. Hess had been managing in the championship. I know, you yeah, know, your average midfielder, yeah, you know, and for him to stay alongside Nicky Bailey, who was an unbelievable talent. But Nicky could be hot-headed and wanting to run everywhere. But Hess was that one who, who had the authority and the class go, oh, stay here for a minute. Yeah. And then had that authority to tell Jason Punchin, wait, just tuck in here for five, ten minutes, and they'd take that. Yeah. So Paul had 
this psychological way of doing things that some of the senior players found hard and difficult with the way he spoke and stuff like that. But when they got on the pitch, they came into their own on how they how they managed team through games. So it, it worked. It worked. And bearing in mind that side, you said that under um, under Stilly that made the playoffs was good. How, how good would you rate the ones you had this time? Obviously, say you mentioned Nicky Bailey, Dean Sinclair, Jason Punchin, Trezor Candle. I think I think we had more talented players in that second time I went there. Yeah, more crowd pleasers. Um, you know, people that when you played, you go. I mean, I look honest, like I, I'm a goalkeeper, but I want to be entertained while I'm playing as well. You know, <laughs> it's great when you know when the ball went to Darren, and, and Darren was the slowest winger you've ever seen in football. And I'd say it to him. But he was the slowest winger who had the best step over, yeah. the best shot, and could deliver with both feet. So he yeah. didn't need pace. Darren could run all day. But like I said, I could watch Darren cross a ball all day. And I enjoyed it. When that other team came around, there was more of those. You know, Nicky Bailey was that midfielder who could run with the ball and hit shots from 20 yards or could take it on. Dean Sinclair could break into the box, score goals. Um... You know, Gratz was a finisher. You know, he, he could score all types of goals. Trezor was an enigma. You know, probably had the most talent as a centre-forward that I'd seen anybody, but you didn't know if it was going to turn up every week. You yeah. didn't know where it was going to be every week. That's um, true, yeah. <laughs> you know, Simon Simon King was now that even more coached centre-half, you mm. know, that never got flustered by anything. Um, it was just... It, it was just... It was just... Good, good players, you know, Punch, as I said, I think Endo said it before. You knew what Punch was going to do, you just couldn't stop him doing it. No, yeah. Um, and what was good about that, it was they were entertaining and fans loved them. You know, there's probably goal of the season competitions for five, six seasons in some of those games. You know, Punch probably got five of them on his own. Yeah. Um, but what we didn't have then, I think, is... Um, the turnover was becoming quicker. Yeah. Meaning those players would play well when they'd gone quicker. The seniors were becoming older all at the same time. So Paul was really trying to move them on quicker, like with Gratz. Wasn't around long when I was there the second year. He had yeah. the one year with him and he'd been in and out and he was gone. Trazor was only there half a season and sold. Yeah. Hendo played some of that season. I was there the first year, then injuries and Joe Devere came through. Yeah. Uh, um, Simon King played one season and Gillingham, it, it was all, the, the changeover was a lot, lot quicker. Um, and the younger players were erratic. They could win you the game one week and, um, you know, Punch could twist someone up on the edge of the box, bend it in and win the game 2-1. Yeah. And then the next week, he decided he'd lose his head and want to kick someone and get sent yeah. off. And so you, you had that. But that's what we were. We, weren't, we didn't have the biggest budget to get the whole team... And we did have, we were probably at the wrong club then. You know, they wouldn't have all come. But we were, we were the group of misfits, the older players that were finishing their career and the ones that have been cast aside at other places and put together. But it all, it all kind of, it gelled together quite well to be, to be quite honest. Gelled. We were never in trouble. We were always, you know, we weren't going to be in the playoffs. We weren't, with seven, eight games to go, we were always kind of in mid-table and spoiling everyone else's party. Yeah. 
How did um, once obviously Hendo took over from Paul? How how different did you find that? Obviously, with him being a teammate of yours on the pitch previously. Yeah, no. Listen, I I I got a lot of time for him. I think he's I grew up together in Essex schools, and he was made he was he was made to do that job and take it on. Um, he was like I said, there's things that probably he can't say that I can say. I think Paul was wary of him, um, not in a bad way, but I think Paul knew that. Hendo was popular. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go right for him that Hendo was the natural progression into the, into to take over. And Hendo naturally had that in him to be a manager. Um, and I think the offer he got assistant manager, he certainly didn't do it for the money. Because <laughs> I think um, the amount of jobs he, in his role was probably about the same amount of the salary he got. But he did it. He did it because he wanted to do it. And... Um, he took over at a tough time. I know Paul won his last game against Bournemouth. He did, yeah. I was there for that. But Ian had those next few games and it was tough. Mm. It was tough. I don't think we won for a few. We drew games and stuff like that. And I remember going home in a car with him and we had Bradford on a on a Saturday and he was going, I think this is the last one. And we six down, there's all these people turned up. He said, I think you're going to have to play Saturday against Bradford. <laughs> and that is honestly the most pressure I've ever felt in a game. Yeah. Even with the playoff games and the things, because I really, really wanted him to get the chance to have the job. And I knew that game meant a lot to win. Um, and that day was brilliant because we won 4 one Yannick Balassi clicked, Albert Adoma clicked, the whole game clicked and he got the job. And I think I played a few more games then and injuries kicked in and we brought Cole in. We've done well. And we finished the season really strongly. Paul Furlong, we picked up. And Hendo done, as I said, he he turned the team around and good players. We had good players and he had a good way about him here. As I said, and I think if he had got through the next season, I think that would have been him off and running as a manager. <laughs>